Hi, everybody. We are popping in at the beginning, which is unusual for us. Say hi, Miles. Hi, Miles. Oh, my God. It, it, you became a to. father. You became a father. And to. this is what happens. All right. <laughs> so we're popping in at the beginning just to say, if you're following along, watching on Hulu, this episode, for some inscrutable and mysterious reason, is not on Hulu. So yes. you will not be able to watch it. It is on the network. However. Well, it was on the network. <laughs> <laughs> Things are changing. WWE is going through a late puberty of, of sorts as they have partnered with Peacock. The library sold to Peacock. My understanding is that Peacock is still in the process of carefully reviewing the 17,000 hours or however many of WWE network footage for, you know, instances of blackface or other things they might not want their audience to experience accidentally, which is understandable. Boy. But as a result of that, while a lot of NXT is on Peacock, not all of it is, and they have not yet gotten back to 2014. So, and the network is officially offline, uh, which means that currently, as we put this out, there is no way for you to watch this episode of NXT. Yes. You all are internet savvy people. If you really want to find a way to watch this episode, I am sure. I am <laughs> I am positive that a way will be found. However, there is no safe, easy, legal way currently to watch the episode of NXT that aired on March 27th, 2014. And we are very sorry about that. It's a really good episode, as we're about to talk about. But due to circumstances utterly beyond our control, it is not currently available on any streaming service that we are aware of. So, sorry for the inconvenience. I hope it's not uh, too terribly disappointing for everybody out there. I think we do a good job of describing it. I do believe you can find, like, some scattered matches from this episode on the internet some places, but definitely not the episode as a whole. So, we will do our absolute best in the upcoming episode to paint a word picture <laughs> in your minds of all the glorious Bo Dallas Adrian Neville feelings. We will also try to keep you updated whenever Peacock does actually get back to where we are in the coverage. And Peacock yes. is dirt cheap right now. It's cheaper than the network was, which is odd. I don't know how they're making any money. But anyway, that's what's going on right now. So if you want to get it, I suppose now is a good time to get it. Although I can absolutely understand if you don't want to give any money to Vince. Well, but you're not really giving money to Vince anymore. Is he the already weird has thing. all the money. He's already gotten it all. It's too That's late. That's the thing. Vince Vince has NBC's money now. So now what you're doing if you get Peacock is you're giving money to NBC. How you feel about that is your prerogative, I guess, and also how you feel about, like, The Office. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> Fair enough. So with that out of the way, please enjoy this episode. I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. And it's Vengeance Week here yeah. on the episode of NXT that originally aired on March 27th, 2014. Not to be confused with Vengeance Day, which was a recent takeover. But mm -hmm. you know what that means. It's a show full of rematches. 
so you can relive all of your favorite matches from Arrival. <laughs> oh, no. Like Mojo Raleigh versus CJ Parker. Ooh. And Xavier Woods versus Tyler Breeze. You know, the really great Arrival matches. <laughs> Although, honestly, the Bo Dallas Adrian Neville rematch, uh, that shit fucking rules. Yeah. Welcome to episode 45 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we kind of loved the shit out of pretty much everything. Yeah. So uh, the bar is set pretty high for Vengeance Week, the week of arrival matches, which is mostly technically true, despite Mm. being a little bit of a stretch. But the question is, did Vengeance Week live up to the hype? We will find out as we move through Bob's breakdown We will also have our own rematches with our eyes, ears, and hearts Mm -hmm. during the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, and we'll relive some old grudges during wrestling history of the week before getting the last laugh with the cheap pop quiz. But before any of that, it's time to revisit my most recent act of treachery against Bob and see how they did on last episode's cheap pop quiz. Oh man, I'm so far away from that next romance bonus episode, so far. They currently have five points in our fifth round of quizzing in which they need a total of 15. So let's see if Bob managed to narrow that gap. Question number one. Next episode, you might have noticed, it's Vengeance Week on NXT, according to the episode description. Quote, it's an entire night of rematches from NXT Arrival. There are five matches on the show, Bob. How many rematches from NXT Arrival actually take place? Is it A, 4, B, 3, C, 2, D, 1, or E, 0? Zero would have been hilarious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bob, you went with two. You lowballed it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were three, so the correct answer was B. Okay. Question number two. Keeping that guess in mind, which wrestler who did not win their match at Arrival does win a match on the next episode? A. Bo Dallas. B. Emma. C. Xavier Woods. D. Tyler Breeze. Or E. CJ Parker. Bob, you were on the right track with this one. I remember listening to you reason this out. (laughs) You figured there was going to be a Woods-Breeze rematch. You figured one of those two was going to be the correct answer to this question. I followed my heart like a fool. You followed your heart, you picked Xavier, and of course the answer was D, Tyler Breeze. And question number three. I already told you that one of the next episode's five matches is not a rematch from NXT Arrival, but it is a rematch from a recent episode of NXT. What is it? Is it A, Corey Graves versus Yoshitatsu? B, Mason Ryan versus Wesley Blake? C, Sasha Banks versus Paige? D. Adam Rose versus Camacho, or E. The Ascension versus Cal Bishop and Travis Tyler. I love so mm-hmm. much that you chose E. <laughs> it was not E. To be fair, the WWE has done nothing to make me believe that they know what they're up to. No, nothing. that made a ton of sense. That made there was no tag team match on the show. Like that made a ton of sense. Uh, the correct answer was A. Corey Graves versus Yoshitatsu. So, no points on this one for you, Bob. Ah, 
foil. Still grasping elusively at the, at the threads of that 15 that you need to get a romance novel episode with a guest. Yeah. But, you know, we got another one coming up in a we little do. bit. Another chance. I feel good about it. Yeah, I think you're going to do okay. But before we get there, of course, we have to get through the rest of the show. And we begin, as always, with Bob's Breakdown. So we start off with Mojo Raleigh versus CJ Parker. Is Raleigh going to get to look good in this one? Stay tuned. Uh, (laughs) CJ Parker dances to the ring as per usual, and the crowd is still kind of silent except for a few lone boos. And God, it's painful. It's like he went heel and still this is the level of heat that he is capable of getting. And it's it's not what I want for anyone. But yeah. I really wish he would change it up. Like a lot of people, when they turn face or turn heel, they like change their mannerisms. They would mm-hmm. like the way they come out for their entrance. They do a different thing to sort of indicate that they are a different alignment. But Parker is just kind of still doing the arm wavies and the, the one foot yeah. hoppies. And, and it just doesn't really work. You know, no, especially whenever the last time we saw him, he was dressed like, Kind of a corporate person, but like a classy corporate person. And I don't know how that's related to hippies either. Mm. I don't know. The mind of Vince McMahon is a tangled place. I mean, I'm not sure how much Vince had to do with this, this is directly. True. The mind of whoever's involved is around. The mind of pro wrestling, like the collective consciousness of pro wrestling is a weird thing. Yeah. So CJ Parker dominates in the early part of the match and fucking whacks Raleigh across the neck with his leg. And it does. CJ Parker is a decent wrestle. He's not bad. Yeah, he's not bad. And so all of the hypeness has abandoned Raleigh as he gets flung from corner to corner and the crowd is chanting for Mojo. And I, I don't get it. What what do I not get? He is not doing anything. I, I don't know. I do know that there seems to be a very, like, strong Mojo section. I think it's, like, his family. (laughs) There's a bunch of people (sighs) clustered together that are all just kind of rooting for Mojo and nobody else, which I thought was kind of (laughs) cute. Yeah, it is sweet whenever, like, your parents show up and they're like, you can do it, honey. But it's also weird in the context of a pro wrestling match. But I guess it lends to the overall credence of the thing that your family's there going, You can do it. You're going to get that home run. And you're like, well, it's predetermined, but sure. (laughs) So Mojo kicks out of another pin attempt close up on Parker with this terrible, like, gurning face going. (laughs) And it looked like the face you would make if you had never practiced what face you would make in front of a mirror, which I feel like is a key component (laughs) of being a good wrestler is that you do in fact need to practice your faces in front of the mirror. You can't just leave it to chance and hope that your face makes a good face. That's why actors go to acting school. <laughs> like <laughs> What you think looks like good anger is not necessarily going to read on camera. So there's a lesson there. Yeah, uh, We're on a video call while we record this, and I really wish all of you could have seen Bob's face when, when they were imitating C.J. Parker. <laughs> I, it's very close. I think I'm very no, close to it. the one you're he's making. Um, we'll try and get a single of that. A single? We'll try and get a still of that to you so that way you can see it. But, uh, so Mojo somehow suddenly gets back enough energy to slam into Parker, knock him down, and then do the butt dunk to win. Uh, what? What the hell? Can Raleigh only wrestle for 30 seconds at a time? 
This is how he wins matches is he just gets beat on. And then in 30 seconds, he comes back and he wins and it's nothing. It's every match. And I don't understand if it's going to be every match, then just make his gimmick that he can like flip the switch at any time and beat you. Like make his gimmick suit that wrestling style where it's like, oh, you can't. You know, say he's tough. You can't keep him down. You can't do all the. But they're doing the thing with with the get hype, stay hype thing, where he's like, because I think this one had the yes. little opening video of him, didn't it? I think so. Where he was like, imagine if someone could stay hype all the time. <laughs> what if hype was a renewable resource? I'm still imagining it, Mojo, because you're not showing it to me. It only exists in my brain. Ugh, yeah. So we go backstage. And it's Sami Zayn looking adorable, but he's getting looked at by the doctor and he's going, no, no, it's fine. I only got flung headfirst into a metal post. Don't even worry about it, bro. It's not a thing. (laughs) And the doctor is like, uh, you know, let's check first and then we'll come back and reevaluate that statement. And he looks a little bit dazed and it's cute because Sami Zayn's always cute. Yeah, he is. And then Xavier Woods and I'm I'm hyped. I love it. Tyler Breeze. They're good at wrestles. I expect something decent. So I have high expectations. Yeah. Miles, they're trading moves and knocking each other down, and they both look really, really good. Yeah, it was a good match. Woods does that head scissor thing where your thighs caress your opponent's face and then flip them right into the mat. And (laughs) they trade momentum a lot, like more than I usually see. Are they just infinitely talented people who know how to tell a compelling story? Like, what's going on? There's not this traditional... One person is grinding the other. They're really trading who's in charge quickly, and it has a faster pace, and I'm loving it. They're super good friends in real life, and they oh. were good friends at the time. In fact, I believe uh, Xavier... wrestles? I believe it, Xavier helped Breeze come up with the Breeze character, because <gasps> they told the story on the New Day podcast about how Breeze was going to get fired like he knew oh, he no. was like he was like on his last legs because he didn't have any characters that were working. Oh, because he was being Mike Dalton. Yeah, he was being Mike Dalton. So he and Xavier like stayed up all night filming like four or five different little vignettes for different oh characters. God. And one of them was the Tyler Breeze character. And that was the one that like allowed him to keep his job. Wow. So they I imagine they're going into this match with the understanding that they want to make each other look good, which is not always a thing that you get in wrestling, but it's always, you can always tell the best wrestling matches are always, not always, but like, I think a lot of them are always between people who like and at least respect each other in real life Mm -hmm. and who at least work really well together. And I think both those things are, are true here. They're just, I think deliberately making each other look good, even though one of them ultimately has to win. Woods lines up Morphin time and breeze dashes out of the way, trying to get out of the ring. And Woods is like, Come on, get back here, you Zoolander knockoff. But Breeze <laughs> is clinging to the top rope like the stroppy toddler going, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the store. I hate it. So he lets go. And then in the moment where Woods is regaining his bearings, Breeze hits him with that high leg to the neck, the beauty shot. He pins Woods for the win. I don't like the ending, but they do both look competent and powerful. And I want to see more of them. They're great. Woods at one point nails this like Breeze is sitting down and he's like sitting up, but he's sitting on the mm-hmm. ground and Woods comes out with a kick and it just <gasps> yes. looks like he destroys him. They sell it so well. 
It's amazing. And then we go backstage and just quickly, Bo wants to let us all know he's going to beat Adrian Neville and we can Bo leave that. And he smiles eerily into the distance like he sees something none of the rest of us do. Or perhaps something that none of the rest of us can. That's <laughs> mm. <laughs> what I'm imagining is that like he can see the great elder ones and we cannot. I just feel like since Bray moved on to the main roster, he's been hearing more and more like voices of the other elder gods in his head. And oh, it's yeah. not good for his psyche. I don't know. I feel like he's better at wrestling now than he's ever been. So I don't I mean, know. that's true. We'll talk about this match he's about to have. Maybe he needs to hear more of those voices. Yeah, maybe Goth is like, that's probably <laughs> the name of one of them. I don't know my goddamn Lovecraft. That's the name of the elder god of elbows. That's, that's who right. that is. Apparently very good at wrestling, that guy. I imagine there would be a, you know, a Lovecraftian god of wrestling. Possibly Shubnigaroth or Nyarlathotep. Anyway, continue. Oh, there you go. You and your fancy non-words. I say as though English is a language. <laughs> All words are made up. All right, rematch with Yoshitatsu and Corey Graves. Yoshitatsu's entrance is three orders of magnitude more fun than Corey Graves stalking to the ring to the Hot Topic playlist. Ugh. All right, that burn out of the way. I just want Yoshitatsu to look good, and he doesn't look bad. Like, he flings Graves around for a tour of the turnbuckles. Turnbuckle. Turnbuckle. Graves gains the momentum and then just starts working the left knee, uh, just falling repeatedly on that knee, twisting it, sitting on it, cranking it like an Allen wrench, which I think is the kind of wrench that's like, just a weird stick with a kink in it. That's correct. Yes, I know something. <laughs> I, I know what a level is. As a person who is mechanically inclined only insofar as it takes to keep my bike in good order, I the, the Allen wrench is the only kind of wrench I know about. Okay, all right, good. We're, we're on yeah. the same level. All right. I think, Miles, do I, do I dare to dream? Is this setting up for Graves' famous move? The leg block. <laughs> oh my god, guys! It's it he's setting up the leg he block. Did the thing. So he flies at Tatsu's leg, locks in Lucky Thirteen, and Tatsu taps because that is what Corey Graves is good at, I guess. <laughs> and uh, he gets on the mic to tell Zane to stay down and you know to just let Graves, I guess, be a dickhead in peace. And I want to say that for all of the shit that we kind of give Corey Graves, I mean, look, I still think there's something about him that's kind of hot and I don't like that, but <laughs> I appreciate that this match actually went out of the way to turn that leg block into a thing that had meaning other than just, hey, it's a thing Corey Graves can do. I guess we better do it. I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That is the amount of credit Miles is willing to give. Uh, sure. <laughs> All right, women's wrestling. Yes. Charlotte and Sasha come to the ring, and Natalia comes to the ring with Bret Hart. And that's not what I thought Bret Hart was going to look like, which is to say <laughs> a regular middle-aged man, which is fine. You can be a regular middle-aged man, and that's yeah. okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It is just weird to me that some wrestlers come out, they're still doing their wrestling persona, like whenever we saw Shawn Michaels still sort of being Shawn Michaels, I guess. 
Maybe drunk, hard I to mean, say. Yeah, he was sort of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, as far as I'm concerned, that's who Shawn Michaels is, I guess, because okay. I don't have a frame of reference. I mean, Triple H comes out as like, you know, Daddy Triple H, and Kane came out as corporate Kane and was doing a thing. Sure. And then uh, Bret Hart is just like, I'm just here to see my niece, and I think she's yeah. great. And like, yeah. that's really lovely. I was kind of delighted to see somebody who's not going, hey, remember me? Was just kind of like, I'm just here to be a good family member. Yeah. So this is all of the Matt Wrestling juiciness that I can stand. There is so much hold for hold and doing cool little reversals and stuff. Yeah. And it's a delight. Charlotte's gotten real good at it. Yeah. This match almost feels like it's going too well that when it ends in the disqualification, it's like, okay, hell, hang on, hang on. We can't, we can't upstage anybody here. Like, <laughs> Yeah. This match was a thing. Yeah. Natalia's superpower, I think, is transitioning from one hold to another hold in seconds. She's so fucking good at it. And that's a the huge, like, hallmark of a good mat wrestler is when you can do that. She did this thing. She was in a hold with Charlotte, drops to her knees then gets Charlotte across her shoulders and flips her onto the mat into an arm hold in like three seconds. And it was yeah. just seamless. It wasn't like Natalia was going, oh, what should I do? It was just like, oh, well, this is what I'm, what anybody would do. And it looks fantastic. Yeah. And she does that step on me, madam thing where she walks on somebody's back and then she bounces off the other rope to do that drop kick. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte goes to the ropes to get some distance. And Natalia's like, yeah, you're going to fucking need it. Charlotte chooses a leg and starts working it over. So Natalia's left leg is getting aggressively sat upon. And Charlotte goes for the figure four, which I guess is Ric Flair's thing. Yeah. Yes, correct. Okay. All right. We're seeing history play out here. Yep. And Natalia says, no, no, thank you. (laughs) And Charlotte goes for it again after a little more leg shenanigans, but no. And Natalia is going for the sharpshooter. And this whole match, I, I can't describe everything because a lot of it is Matt wrestling. And Matt wrestling is like, you can't describe how amazing it is to see somebody hold another person's wrist either you see it happen or you don't yeah there's only two ways to describe matt wrestling one of them is by like knowing everything about matt wrestling you're like okay well then they transitioned into an arm bar and stuff which isn't compelling audio sure or you can just say they did matt wrestling for a while And it's so cool the thing about it that's cool is when you see a human body move like it's a dance except that it's a violent dance and that is very hard to put into words effectively because the i don't know it's in the grammar of it and i can't believe i just said that about wrestling given that not but 45 episodes ago the idea that there was a grammar to wrestling was anathema to me and unable to penetrate my brain yes i'm so happy (laughs) it only took (laughs) like a year and a half hey i'll take it absolutely and so this match is amazing and then it's obvious that charlotte is about to tap sasha can't stand that gets in the ring interrupts the match by attacking natalia so the bell goes because obviously it's a disqualification whenever another person goes in and goes well (laughs) i'm not letting that stand Punch, punch, punch. <laughs> so Natalia does the sharpshooter on Sasha. And just to say, don't be rude, which is an intense way to say don't be rude, but also don't be rude. Right. And then we go backstage. And. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. 
I wasn't in a fugue state when I wrote this, but I was also not not in a fugue state when I wrote this. Okay. So, Adrian Neville, this match has no ladders, and we all know that you were raised feral in the wild by a pack of wild ladders. So how are you feeling about this non-ladder match? That's not what they say, but they say it as though that is the subtext that, like, Adrian Neville, you have been raised by ladders, and you only speak ladder, correct? And Adrian Neville's, like, going... Yeah, it's true. I mean, yes, I was raised by ladders. But this upcoming match is not a ladder match, and that is therefore a big risk because Bo was raised by a pack of not ladders, I guess. And so this is the tone of of this little backstage segment, and Adrian Neville just reassures us that, yes, even though his familial lineage is all (laughs) ladder-based, that he is also (laughs) capable of wrestling in a ring like a regular person. As we've seen over the course of our year-plus covering this show, he can wrestle in normal wrestling matches and he usually wins. Yeah, but they were really hammering it. And I was going, do you not watch the show, interviewer? I think it's because they're saying he hadn't beaten Bo in a non-ladder match. But yeah, no, definitely. What a weird way to hit it, though. Just to go, I don't know, man. That Adrian Neville is real shaky. And I'm like, uh, okay. Also, didn't they make a big deal at Arrival about how Neville hadn't been in a ladder match before either? Yes! Yes! Which I don't think is even true. I think he's done ladder matches on the indies, but obviously you can't acknowledge those because the door hasn't been opened yet. I'm just saying, it's not like he's a member of, like, House Ladder. Like, he doesn't have a ladder (laughs) on his fucking heraldry like some other wrestlers do. Like, Jeff Hardy has a ladder on his heraldry. Neville, I don't think, does. Oh my god. Jeff Hardy is a ladder as far as I'm concerned. Like, Jeff Hardy mind melded with a ladder once upon a time and <laughs> the ladder lives within his spirit and soul and he hears the voice of the ladder at all times that's right all right main event bo dallas gets the most cheers i have ever heard miles do you want to estimate how many cheers that was you mean four bow yes four bow mm, i put the over under for that at like six and a half I had it at seven, but that was just a guesstimate. I will take six and a half. I think six and a half woos is about right. Yeah. So Adrian Neville gets substantially more, although not enough more that I was like, I was still going crowd. What the hell are you doing? Are you just not warmed up yet? Yeah, they were a little bit quiet. I wonder where this was in the taping. Yeah, I kind of had that same question because I was like, this is a championship match. You should be invested. But maybe they were just, like, tired. Maybe it was just nap time. I don't know. Yeah, they were not invested. It just seems like maybe they were a little bit less uh, loud and happy than they might otherwise have been. They warmed up, but it took them a minute. They were not there at the beginning, so I don't know. But they lock up. There's a lot of holds. It's all very normal. But Neville is anything but normal. He's a goddamn flying hobbit wonderkind. So he goes to the top rope and Dallas is going, (laughs) uh, no, none (laughs) of that goes to the outside. And Neville's like, like, that's going to stop me. And he just does a moonsault from the top to the outside onto Bo, which, okay, I can accept doing it onto like a crowd of guys where the margin for error is significantly lower. He just does it onto one guy where he could die. And he lands well enough to do the, are you not entertained, arms <laughs> wide pose. That's how good Adrian Neville is. Yes. And again, we talk so often about how Adrian Neville seems to be the only person on the show who actually understands how wrestling works. 
I yeah. love that what happens in that sequence is that Bo is down. Neville goes up to the top rope to do something. Bo's like down in the ring, right? Neville yeah. goes up to the top rope to do something. Bo rolls out of the ring to prevent that from happening, which is what heels do all the time. And most of the time, the babyface would just be like, kind of like disappointedly get down <laughs> from the top rope. Like, oh, I didn't get to do my thing because you moved. Why would you do that? Neville just repositions himself in like a half a second and then doesn't move himself to the outside anyway because he fucking knows how this works. I feel like he and Cesaro are in universe the smartest ones in NXT is the I way mean, that it yeah. it seems to be. This is not the first time we've had this conversation. It's still true. Yeah. And I appreciate that Neville is a smart face. That's really fun. Yes. So Dallas isn't going to let that stand, though. And just clotheslines Neville like he's trying to decapitate him. And he drags Neville back to the ring. And the NXT crowd is onside for Neville. But there is actually a bow chant going to. And it's a positive one. Yeah. Faint, but it's there. This is actually the, uh, I just looked it up. This is the last episode of the taping. So um, I'm guessing the crowd's been here a while. Okay. Sometimes when you've been there a while, you need, you need a really good episode to kind of get you into it by the end. Yeah. Which this episode may be under-delivered a little bit, but I do love this match. Yeah. And so then we go to commercial. And it's a commercial for Oculus, the spooky <laughs> mirror movie. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, I remember that from when Miles told me about Sasha being turned evil by the evil mirror. And um, I got chills from the trailer because I'm such a baby. And was like, I'm never going to watch it, but I'm glad I saw that trailer. Trailers for me, for horror films, I love them because I get to experience the light spookiness. And then I don't have to keep thinking about them because the trailer is over and they never keep me on edge because it's two minutes. I love horror movies. Oh my God, they're so spooky, though. I know, but that's, the, that's what's great about them. So you like being scared. I love being scared, yeah. Oh, wow. I have to know how many horror films end. I get really invested, and so I'll go read spoiler-heavy synopses of horror films, or even just kind of, I don't know, are the films where sharks eat people, are those horror films, or is that just like, I don't know. You mean like Jaws? Yeah, or like Open Water or whatever. I mean, I think Open Water is a horror film, but also okay. that's that's also my personal biggest fear. Oh, the open water? A oh, fucking course it is because the ocean is terrifying. Yeah, the ocean is terrifying and the idea of just like being out there on the ocean floating with like no land in sight and also there are sharks is like I I'm open water I almost couldn't handle open water. <laughs> I can never handle any of those, but I love sharks in movies, even though I am terrified of them. I mean, not terrified of them in real life necessarily, although deeply respectful of them and don't don't want to upset a shark. Yeah, but absolutely. I had to go read the synopsis of Open Water because I had to know how it ends. And of course, they all die, which I love that the film is like, and this is how it really happened. But it's also like, well, yeah. was the shark filming it? How the fuck do you know this? <laughs> And they're like, oh, this is the first shark-produced horror film. This That's is right. just their thing. It's shark propaganda. They're just, like, making <laughs> this to be like, stay the fuck out of the water. <laughs> Fucking hey, humans, assholes. what will do to you? <laughs> this film paid for by the shark propaganda board. The sharks are like, all right, 
we need to keep these humans out of the air. Like, they're dumping shit. They keep coming out here. Like, what can we do? Like, what will they possibly respond to? And some, some like, young intern shark was like, I have an idea. <laughs> oh, my what God. If we made this movie? It was movie? a shark with thick eyeglasses that looked really <laughs> cute. So the shark looked very intelligent. That's right. Yeah, what if we made this movie where, you know, about how just, like, if they come out here, they're fucked. <laughs> and there were all the other adult sharks were in the room like, oh, that's crazy enough to work. Yeah. Oh, I love these sharks. <laughs> okay, so back to this match that we're watching. Oh, yeah, that's right. Is Shark Boy in it? Because he's a wrestler. Oh, I don't know about... No, wait, do I know about Shark Boy? Was he raised by sharks? I don't know his backstory. I'll have to look it up. He has like a, a cartoonish shark mask and a fin on the top of his head. Oh, of course he has a fin on the top of his head. Having something yeah. on the top of your head is the best. <laughs> So back to the match. Dallas is trying to cover Neville, but he keeps kicking out because you can't keep a good hobbit down. And no one sells a clothesline like Neville, though. He makes Dallas look superhumanly strong. Dallas does try a pin by sitting on Neville's face. And I just want to say I was very pleased to see face sitting representation in the men's match. So yeah. good for them. Neville gets up and into position for a springboard that wipes out Bo, but not enough for the pin. And the two of them are slowing down. So the wrestling gets canny, which I really appreciate that whenever the pace slowed down, it wasn't like, well, I guess we're only going to do boring shit now. Instead, they were like, well, now we're both tired, so we have to wrestle smarter, not harder, yes. which I yes. hate that smarter, not harder as a phrase. And I think I, I wish I even hadn't said it because I hate it so much, but it's what they do. And it's so good. Yeah. It's one of the reasons this match is so good. Absolutely. So Dallas brilliantly tries to whip Neville into the ref going, all right, well, good. Then once the ref's wiped out, I can do some shenanigans. But Neville stops so he doesn't hurt Balsa Woodbury or whatever this guy's name is. <laughs> and Dallas comes up from behind for a roll up. Clever bastard. And Neville escapes, gets Bo down and goes for the red arrow. But Dallas gets the knees up, which is what you yep. have to do whenever you're in a match with Adrian Neville. So oh shit, Adrian Neville's finisher didn't work. Ah, this is the moment where we get a new move. That like, that's the way it works in wrestling, right, Miles? If your finishing move doesn't work and it's in a high stakes match, you are either going to lose it or you are going to bust out a new move, right? Yeah, the third option is that you do your finisher just a bunch of times <laughs> and then win. But that's oh, the most if you're boring fighting option Brock Lesnar. Yes, exactly. If you're Brock Lesnar or Goldberg or you're in a match with those two, you just have to do it over and over again. And, you know, but like for the most part, yeah, you're either not going to win the match or you're going to win the match in some uh, other way like Paige did. So all right, back to this match. So his finisher didn't work and wrestling is like Pokemon. So if your finisher doesn't work, you have to level up so you can win the match. I don't understand. Do you watch Pokemon, Miles? Did you ever watch it? No, I know you don't like anime. I honestly think you would like Pokemon so much because it's like wrestling. Like, that's what it is. So Neville is like barely in it. And he and Bo are struggling. And Neville gets just a face full of turnbuckle. And then Dallas gets a face full of boot. And it's enough to knock Dallas to the floor. So our Hobbit leaps to the top rope. Like, what's he doing? It's not the red arrow. It's a 450 splash, someone said, maybe. Yeah, it is actually... What you would call that, I believe, is an imploding 450 splash. Oh, very cool. So it's called an imploding 450 splash. And it basically, like, a regular 450 splash is you'd be facing the other way. 
is mm-hmm. the, really the only difference. And you would like flip forward 450 degrees before oh. landing on your opponent. He had his back turned to Bo and he like flipped forward, but his body moved backward during his yeah. spin. Yeah. He turned into a tiny hobbit ball somersaulting and then just opened up to do the splash onto Bo Dallas. Looks fucking amazing. He pins him for the win and Neville holds up the championship and then Dallas is just surrounded by doctors trying to revive him from the alien state of dormancy that he no doubt went into to survive that blow. And uh, Neville retains. So he is now officially for Scherzies the champion because the rematch is over. As we talked about when we talked about the rematch clause, the champion pretty much always wins those matches. But yes, he has gone through the ritual of the rematch (laughs) and now he can move on to whatever is next for him. Ah, uh, so proud of him. All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown. What did you think of Vengeance Week overall? You know, uneven, but not bad. I yeah. the last episode was fantastic. This had a lot to live up to. It didn't live up to it, but it got pretty close and I'll take it. So I thought overall pretty darn good. All right. Well, let's get into some more specifics on that as we get into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? I felt like there wasn't a whole lot to see in this one, relatively speaking. I agree. What I did see was during the backstage segment with Bo Dallas, Devin Taylor is the one interviewing Bo and Bo is, you know, looking off into the middle distance and saying, you can Bo leave that. Devin Taylor starts nodding. Bo Dallas walks off and Devin Taylor keeps slowly and seriously nodding (laughs) until the shot fades. It was hilarious and I loved it. So, I mean, yeah, she might be getting like a little bit infected by whatever is infesting him. I was wondering that. I was like, oh, my God, did the spores get to you, too? Devin Taylor, I'm worried. Devin, stop nodding. Devin, why are you still nodding? Devin. Devin might be a believer now. Mm. So, Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Also kind of a smaller thing, uh, similar to yours, Bob, during the women's match. And I'm not sure if it was present or visible in the other matches as well, but I definitely saw it very plainly during the women's match. Somebody in the front row has a large sign that says, we want Becky Lynch. Oh, which I thought was really just really interesting because I'm assuming because I'm pretty sure we're going to meet her finally, like soonish. And uh, the fact that somebody in the crowd has has a sign for her tells me that a she's probably been wrestling like in like dark matches or Like, they know about her somehow, at least they know she's there. That's um, awesome. And they know that she's calling herself Becky Lynch, so she must have made some appearances in Full Sail. And she's already made enough of an impact on at least that one person that they're bringing out a big sign that says, we want Becky Lynch, and they're standing right there in the front row. You can see it really clearly. So, I don't know. I just thought that was neat, and I can't wait to see Becky and get to talk about Becky, because I love Becky. That's awesome. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? During... The CJ Parker and Mojo Raleigh match. I'm sure you okay. heard this one. Absolutely. This was on my list. <laughs> yes. Jason Albert asks Alex Riley, what do you drive, Alex Riley? Because Alex Riley is out here, you know, on the side of CJ Parker, which is to <laughs> say on the side of the environment and therefore yeah, is the heel commentator. I was like cheering for Alex Riley. I'm like, yeah. fuck you, man. 
Yeah, no, Alex Riley's like, we are destroying the ozone layer. And I was like, yes, we are, Alex Riley. Good job. Thank you. Yep. So Jason says, what do you drive, Alex Riley? Alex Riley. <laughs> I drive a Kiwi. <laughs> and Tom just goes, that's just not a car. It's just not a car. <laughs> and I'm like, what did you, did you think you were going to say Kia and your brain just said, that's a close sound. I'm going to say Kiwi and hope for the best. And Tom doesn't even laugh. He just says it like, Alex, that's not what a car is. And it's so precious and beautiful. And I loved it. I, it's weird how Alex Riley gives me a greater appreciation for Tom Phillips. Because oh, we've yeah. had a couple of times now where, for whatever reason, they work well together. They do. Sometimes one of them will be going off on some weird tangent, and the other one will just throw in a really nice one-liner <laughs> like that, and it's and just, like, totally straight-faced. It's so good. Now I'm just thinking about Tom Milked Cat. Yeah, because we're coming off Tom Milked a Cat once, which was the greatest <laughs> moment of Alex Riley's career. <laughs> Every now and then, Alex Riley, you're in that paycheck, and... Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for driving a Kiwi, <laughs> saving the environment. Oh. Okay, Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? All right, so Corey Graves mm-hmm. says the specific words he says when he gets on the bike to talk to Zane, who's not there, is, don't be a fool, stay down. <laughs> to which Jason Albert responds, I thought he was going to say, don't be a fool, stay in school, which mm-hmm. is also what I thought. when he said the first part of that sentence i was like what are you doing Corey?" (laughs) do you think he didn't know what he was gonna say initially and just went i'm gonna say don't be a fool and then i'll say stay down but (laughs) he had to like remind himself halfway through like don't fucking say it Corey. don't say it (laughs) i don't know i I don't know what goes through his mind when he attempts things like metaphor, but yeah, when Jason Albert said that, I was like, thank you for saying it out loud, because I think everybody listening was expecting him to say it stay in school. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? I could have felt a lot of things. I did feel that main event, but really, I felt how unbelievably skilled and talented Woods and Breeze are. They're mm. both exceptional, fun to watch, and, like, I know that they're mid-carters, but I guess I'm now at the point where I can see that the mid-card matches are often better than the main event. Historically. Yeah, they don't have to carry as much narrative weight all the time, so they're not crushed under expectations. They just get to be really good, and... I love it, and I was really delighted to get to enjoy Xavier Woods and Tyler Breeze in a way that I don't always get to enjoy Xavier Woods because apparently black people can't have nice things at the WWE. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, obviously in 2021, that's a little bit different now, thank God. But it was amazing. I was really glad I got to see it, and they made each other look amazing. And my Breeze feelings are more positive as a result, although I don't remember my last Breeze rating. But I would say now 80%. All right. I believe you were at 75 last time. So we're now up to 80. That's that's still yeah. moving on up. Miles, what did your human heart feel? I just love the main event so much. That match was probably the best Bo Dallas match, at least the best one I've seen. Yeah, and it was real good. 
I think what you said was so spot on about how, like, at a certain point, it's clear that they're tired and they're mm-hmm. worn out and this match has been taking a toll on them. But instead of just, like, being slow and boring, they yes. just get crafty. And I think that was really great. I love how the match uses the referee. The referee mm-hmm. doesn't get knocked down, but the referee still plays a role because they do a couple of spots where, like, there's the one where Neville almost runs into him. And then there's the one where Bo goes to pin Neville, but Neville gets his foot on the rope and the ref sees it. Yes. Which you would think would happen in, like, every wrestling match, but really doesn't. And so I love how they use the referee as a third character in the ring. The finish is fucking amazing. I mean, everything Neville does in this match is incredible. He is just completely on point. Pulls out the springboard fucking phenomenal forearm that AJ Styles is using as a finishing move. That's just, like, Mm -hmm. a regular fucking move in this match. I just really, really enjoyed it. It's such a great example of how a match can get to that next level without doing the whole technical wrestling thing. Because all you've got is you've got two guys in there who have very distinct wrestling styles. Because, like, kind of being crafty is sort of Bo's entire deal. Mm-hmm. So the two styles that don't always mesh super well you yeah. know, when things aren't going great just really get to the next level with this one and make it super fun. And they both do their thing, and it's surprisingly good. I just really think this is like, you know, a, a great little hidden gem in not only in Dallas's career, I would say Neville, Neville's career too, but I mean, his heights are so much higher than this, but Bo's really mm-hmm. aren't. And so this is a great hidden gem in Bo's career and it's a great hidden gem in early NXT. All right, well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. No fanfic from Bob this week because we didn't do wrestling term of the week on our last episode. So it is time to get right into wrestling history of the week. Yeah. And because this is an episode that ends in five or zero, it is once again time to uh, get back into women's wrestling history. So on episode 40, which was the last time we did women's wrestling history, we talked about the Attitude Era how women were being treated during the Monday Night Wars, primarily as, like, sex objects to get ratings. We did have the return of the Women's Championship eventually, but it was primarily used at the time as a vehicle for Sable, whose whole thing was that she was hot. Mm-hmm. So, this time around, we're going to take a little bit step back in time. We're going to talk about a specific person. Joni Lohrer, a.k.a. China. Mm-hmm. <gasps> who technically predates the Attitude Era, but a single glance at her first appearance is demonstrative of where WWF was headed. Initially seeming to be merely a member of the audience sitting ringside, she attacked Marlena, who we talked about last time, who was involved in a story that saw her on-screen boyfriend Goldust, a flamboyant character decked out in full makeup and a blonde wig, and Mm. who, quote-unquote, intimidated his opponents with homosexual mannerisms, Mm. attempting to defend her against the advances of the villainous Triple H, who would, along with China herself, soon become a cornerstone of the vulgar, sophomoric faction D-Generation X. Her immediate association with these types of characters and storylines associates China, in turn, with the Attitude Era. But when it comes to the subject of women in the Attitude Era, she's not really part of the conversation. The women of the Attitude Era were primarily women like Marlena, who had been hired primarily because they looked good in lingerie. 
China's costumes might have been skimpy, but her sex appeal was more of the BDSM variety. Yeah. Black leather on a tremendously muscular woman. More importantly, unlike most of the women in WWF at the time, China was not a manager or a valet for a male character, but she was a wrestler in her own right, and since there was neither a women's title nor much of a women's division when she debuted in February 97, China wrestled the men. That's so fucking cool. As a result, she became the first woman to do a great many things in the WWF. She was the first woman to compete in the annual Royal Rumble match and the first woman to compete in the then-annual King of the Ring tournament. She was also the first and only woman so far to hold the prestigious Intercontinental Championship with two officially recognized reigns. That's fucking amazing! While the other women of the Attitude Era were competing in bra and panties matches and serving as glorified sex objects, as we discussed in episode 40, China was amassing a list of accomplishments unmatched by any other woman in professional wrestling. Of particular interest is China's first intercontinental title victory, a match she won over a wrestler named Jeff Jarrett. The story going into this match was about as misogynistic as wrestling gets. Jarrett wanted to teach China a woman's place, and after spending several weeks physically attacking other women in the company, he put his championship on the line in the first and only good housekeeping match. Oh, Jesus in which it was legal to hit your opponent with any standard household object. Okay. This was 1999, and the match was pretty typical Attitude Era fare. A mix of comedy, questionable sex appeal, and the hardcore style typified by weapons and blood. Brooms, ironing boards, toilet seats, and an actual kitchen sink all came into play. Oh my god. As did fillets of fish, sticks of salami, and a baking mixture involving flour and eggs. This last was eventually dumped on the head of Jeff Jarrett's valet, Miss Kitty, who was later known as the Cat. Who was your standard, scantily clad sex pot? To this day, Vince McMahon is well known for his appreciation of nearly naked women being humiliated by having some substance or another poured on them. Ugh. Needless to say, watching this match again, 22 years later, is a somewhat uncomfortable experience and is quite Mm -hmm. indicative of the WWF television product at the time. However, the central tenet of professional wrestling is that there are heroes and villains. Jarrett, playing the role of the abusive male chauvinist, was the villain of the story, and China wasn't just the hero, she was the conquering hero. She defeated Jarrett and won the Intercontinental Championship that night. And in that context, the overall story suddenly becomes that of a woman overcoming gender inequality in a company that seems to really want to glorify it. Yeah. You would be hard-pressed to find a period of mainstream television in history more willing to degrade women for the sake of ratings. And even then, China was the one holding her championship high, her men's championship. And when the referee's hand slapped the mat for the third time to give China that victory, the crowd in Cleveland roared in unadulterated approval. Whoa. If you're wondering how such a thing was allowed to happen in this period, it probably had something to do with the fact that this was Jarrett's last match in WWF during this run, and he reportedly demanded and was paid as much as $500,000 from Vince to lose it. Wow. While rumors abound that China's career began due to her real-life relationship with Triple H, to say that she owed her career to anyone would be a mistake. She was a skilled wrestler in her own right, having been trained by Triple H's own trainer, the legendary Killer Kowalski, 
and earning enough popularity that she was at one point considered a legitimate contender for the WWF Championship. Wow. And after being stuck at ringside for three straight WrestleManias, China finally stepped through the ropes for an intergender tag team match at WrestleMania 16, teaming up with our good friends Scotty Tuhati and Grandmaster Sexy Jesus. to defeat the Radicals. The other women's match on that show, by the way, was a cat fight, that's how it was billed, between the cat and the former Marlena, now known as Terry Runnels. The two women were accompanied to the ring, respectively, by Mae Young and the Fabulous Moolah, and the special guest referee was Val Venus, a wrestler with a porn star gimmick, who also happens mm. to be a complete piece of shit in real life. Ah. Despite being the antithesis of the Attitude Era brand of sexuality, China was a sex symbol in her own right, posing for Playboy in late 2000. That appearance was worked into her last major WWF storyline when she went up against a group called The Right to Censor. The WWF Women's Championship had been brought back two years earlier, as we mentioned in episode 40, and in 2001, the champion was Ivory, a member of the RTC. At WrestleMania 17, mere we- I'm sorry, WrestleMania X7, as I guess you're supposed to call it, Mere weeks after WWF officially purchased WCW, ending the Monday Night Wars for good, China challenged for Ivory's championship and destroyed her with little effort, winning the title with a lackadaisical pin. It was her only reign with any women's championship, and she never officially lost it as she left WWF shortly thereafter. China gave conflicting accounts of her departure from WWF, at one time claiming that she was let go following Triple H's affair with Stephanie McMahon. Hmm. Later, she and others would claim she left to pursue a career in acting. In 2002, she wrestled several matches for New Japan Pro Wrestling, before temporarily retiring from the sport. She would later star in several pornographic films. Mm -hmm. Her decision to act in porn is widely suspected to be the reason she has never been inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. After all, what would the precious children see if they typed her name into Google? Her actual final wrestling match occurred at 2001 in Total Nonstop Action Wrestling, a.k.a. TNA, a company that ironically was owned and operated at the time by Jeff Jarrett. Oh. And of course, she tragically passed away in April 2016 after overdosing on drugs and alcohol. She was 46. China is a unique figure in women's wrestling, not truly belonging to any one era, but strangely transcending all of them. If she falls into any tradition, it might be the tradition of Wendy Richter, women who became too popular for their own good, and whom Vince McMahon has largely attempted to scrub from the history books. But she also serves as a bridge between two eras. When she arrived, the Monday Night Wars were in full swing. There was no women's championship and no women's division, and when those things showed up, she was too big for them. When she left, the Monday Night Wars were over, and she herself was holding the women's title, a move that signified that McMahon was finally ready, maybe, to book that title like it meant something, instead of using women simply as sex objects to get ratings. But China wouldn't be around to enjoy it. The championship was vacated upon her departure, and it was the next champion, who ironically had been used previously very much as a sex object to get ratings, who would go on to define the next truly revolutionary era of women's wrestling. The era of Stratisfaction. <gasps> wow. And we will talk about that in episode 50. So uh, it's a waste from now. We're going to give Bob two episodes to uh, figure out how to do a fanfic of the women's wrestling history that we just broke down. 
but they will be back on episode 47 with that fanfic, and then episode 50, we'll get the next chapter. Uh, And with that, we are coming rapidly to the end of our show. It is time now for the Cheap Pop Quiz. All right. I feel undeservedly confident about this. <laughs> A lot of unearned confidence coming from Bob right now. Oh, yeah. All right. Question number one. What term that we've previously discussed on this show do the announcers completely fail to explain on <sighs> the next episode? Is it A, Mark, B, B-plus player, C, Cornerman, D, Heat, or E, Ratchet? I'm going to say Heat. I feel like that's a thing that wrestlers would use without thinking. That makes sense. Question number two. The next episode is structured around three feuds that NXT is building towards. But as we've already seen in wrestling, plans change sometimes. Mm. Of those three feuds, how many are never properly resolved in a one-on-one feud-ending match, and why? Is it A, one, because of an injury? B, two, because of two injuries? C, Two, because of an injury and somebody getting called up to the main roster. D, three, because of two injuries and somebody getting called up to the main roster. Or E, three, because of an injury, somebody getting called up to the main roster, and somebody else getting fired. The last one is too shiny. I have to choose that one. Why am I such an idiot? All right. (laughs) Well, hopefully that's right. All right. Three, because of an injury, somebody getting called up. Somebody getting called up to the main roster and somebody getting fired. And question number three. What Corey Graves related thing occurs on the next episode? Is it A, he defeats Sami Zayn in a wrestling match? B, his storyline with Zayn takes a really cringy turn? Hmm. C, he cuts an absolutely nonsensical promo against Zayn about a puppy walking into a forest and getting caught in a bear trap, and then the wolves come. <laughs> D, he keeps Sami Zayn in a headlock for so long that the crowd starts trolling him by chanting, We love headlocks! Oh, man. Or E, all of the above. Okay. <sighs> yep, yep, I'm going for the shiny one. All right. Because I feel like one of those is definitely true, and I think two of them might be true. Okay, so you're going with all of the above. I am going with all of the above. All right. Well, on our next episode, we will see how Bob did on this edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. All right, well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Thank you. And you know what? I'm glad that we've arrived here on this episode and that we have entered this new land of going, that Bo Dallas guy, he's pretty dang good. He's pretty dang good. You know who's also great, Bob? Possibly even better than Bo Dallas. Oh, man. I know. It's hard to believe. But the patrons of the next (gasps) wrestling fan. It's so true. Are some really quality people. 
we just want to thank all of you for helping support the show and for, uh, for being patrons. Obviously, you know, if you listen to us or, or hang out with us or whatever it is you do in any capacity, we love you dearly. Oh, uh, yeah. But we have some special things available for those of you who support us financially. For example, uh, Bob recently put up basically a bonus episode full of like bonus shit from uh, from a certain stretch of our podcast. It is half an hour long. No, it's 43 minutes. Is it 43 it is, minutes? It's 43 minutes of all kinds of little shenanigans that we got up to, including explaining to Miles what a fandom bicycle is. And... <laughs> discussing miles rates brains for part of it oh yeah i'm not in favor we have a discussion about how miles injured his knee both times yeah one of them will not surprise you (laughs) (laughs) so there's a whole other bonus episode up on available for patrons right now where you can hear all of these little extra bits uh and also bob i'm very proud to announce we actually have a new Next Wrestling Fan Federation champion. Oh my goodness, who is it? It's another two-time champion. We expanded our Patreon, we got a couple of new tiers up there, and so some of our previous champions decided to up their pledges, which means they win the title again. And uh, I think there's a very interesting story to be told about how our ex-champion now, Sidreal Constellation, mm-hmm. uh, got into a feud with... Seth Luna. Oh, what? Our good, good werewolf boy. Oh, man, this has to be just a gentle misunderstanding. Maybe. I don't know. The point is that Seth Luna is a two-time Next Wrestling Fan Federation champion. Thank you so much to Luke Blunier for upping your pledge. We really appreciate you. Please enjoy your second championship reign. May it be a long one full of howls and the moon and things. I do want to say... Seth Luna? So yeah, thank you so much to all of our patrons. Thank you so much for supporting us during these times that have, shall we say, a complicated relationship with precedence. (laughs) It is much appreciated and we are grateful for it every dang day. And this is just a tip for yourself. Just do yourself a favor. You've been so good this year. Go ahead, get on Hulu, and just watch Money Plane if you weren't at the Money Plane watch party. Don't do it. Don't <laughs> don't don't subject yourself to that. I thought it was fun. Alright, Miles and I'll fight about this later. <laughs> Alright. Well you should check out Money Plane and then weigh in. Hope everybody enjoyed WrestleMania 37. If you watched WrestleMania 37, it was a lot of fun. Oh man. Yeah, do that too. With all that having been said, thank you so much for listening, supporting, and doing everything it is that you do. We will see you once again in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. 
We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm not going to say that Brock Lesnar and Goldberg should be forbidden from wrestling anymore, but I will say that I'm very I'll happy. Say it. Well, I, I am happy that their matches last no more than three minutes each. <sighs> I, you are allowed to be on screen for three minutes if that's all you're going to do, but that's it. You have to leave after that. I'm not allowed to be champion. Fuck out of here. Yeah, no, you're not. Not that. Not You can't do a spear thrice and go, well, I'm the best at this. <laughs>